Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. We are now in Judges 7 called Gideon's 300. I'm calling this Gideon's 300. We had seen that Gideon had been called to save the impoverished Israelites from seven years of Midianite oppression. They've been oppressed all this time. And now the Midianites have come to camp near Israel, the Israelites. They've come to camp near them, ready to make their annual plundering raid to steal and destroy from Israel once again, or so they think. And so we're now in Judges 7 and verse 1. It says, Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. So the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Okay, in verse 1, did you notice that Gideon is called Jeroboam? <laughs> he wasn't called that in the last chapter. Jeroboam, what is this? It says, then Jeroboam, that is Gideon. Okay, so this is Gideon. What does it mean? Jeroboam means contender with Baal. Baal. You remember in the previous chapter, Gideon broke down the false god, Baal. He broke down Baal's altar, and he built an altar there for God, uh, for the God of Israel. Now he broke down Baal's altar. And so now he has this new nickname that means False God destroyer, basically, contender with Baal. How awesome is that, that you you now have a nickname that means I don't put up with false gods. How awesome. I kind of wish I had a nickname like that. And so Gideon, he has about 32,000 men with him now, and they're camped out by the well. Where did I get the 32,000 from? We'll hear that in the next few uh, verses. But anyway, they're camped by a well or spring, and it would bring up water, and it would run eastward towards the Jordan River. That's a good strategic place to camp out because thirsty guys can't fight very well. So, of course, they're going to they're gonna set up by this river, this spring. And so in verse 2, we see that God wants to make sure we understand that his strength and his victories are not dependent upon man's numbers. God's victories and strength aren't dependent on you, on us, on people. It's dependent on God. And so God makes it clear to Gideon, he has too many men with him. You've got too many guys. Gideon is looking at this massive army that's encamped to attack them. They're getting ready to come and get them. And we have too many people. (laughs) This is just God diffusing man of his ways of thinking. God doesn't think like man does. Now, chapter six says all the Midianites came, all of them. How many? Half of them? No, it says all of them, all the Midianites. And the Amalekites also came here. The people of the east, they gathered together. You know, Israel's enemy here is not just one people group. It's two, two of them. 
And Gideon knows that the Amalekites are out there too. The Amalekites have been Israel's most sworn enemy from the get-go. They were the ones that came out and cowardly ambushed Israel from Israel's rear, from the back, when they were traveling through, uh, the, through the wilderness with Moses to coming out of Egypt. They were traveling through, and they got attacked from the back. That was the Amalekites. So here's this massive mega alliance of Israel's most hateful enemies, and they're joined together, ready to launch the same attack that has been, has been successful for the last seven years in a row. Oh, we've done this seven years in a row. We're going to get them again. Uh-uh. No, you're messing with the God of Israel this time. And God tells Gideon, you have too many people or else you'll try to claim glory for yourselves. God didn't want Israel to win by their big numbers because then they go, oh, look what we did. Look what we did. Let me show you Isaiah 42 and 8. It says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another. Friends, God is not about to share his glory. He won't share his glory with anyone else. And so he's going to make Israel watch him trim their numbers down just so that they will know not to try to steal any thunder here. God's not going to have it. He won't share his glory. Wow, what a concept. Check that out. And, And you know, if you ever feel like you're being whittled down, Maybe it's because you're losing bragging rights. I don't know. God's trying to do something in your life. Let him work. Judges 7 and 3 says, Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. Oh my goodness. So, this is how we know that Gideon started out with 32,000 men, because it says 22,000 left, leaving them with 10,000. So that was 32,000 to start with, and now they're down to 10,000. Now, I think this here was a good move. For the fearful, go home. I think it was a good move because it removed fear from the army. It got the fear out. If there's one thing that God's Word tells us many times, it is, do not fear. It's not work on it. It's not, well, try to minimize your fear a little bit. The, the Bible says, do not fear. That means get rid of it. Well, give me some time. There's no time. Get it out. Uh, well, Ray, that's pretty pushy, don't you think? It's, hey, God's orders. <laughs> Those who are fearful need to go. And so also, the dismissal of these fearful men was in agreement with Deuteronomy 20 and verse 8, which says, what man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest hit, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. And so we see that the dismissing of these fearful men would do a couple of things. It would purge the fear out from among them, from among the army, and it would also keep from bringing down those who had the heart to fight. You know, if you've ever noticed, fear spreads quickly. Fear spreads very quickly, and it contaminates people very quickly. You turn on the news, they know this. They know that fear spreads fast. And so they use fear. They try to scare everybody in their news. And I'm not picking on just one news media or news group. They seem to all be doing it to some extent. But this is why God commanded the fearful. It says, quote, depart at once. Get out of here. Get them out of here so that they won't bring the rest down. We got to get the fear out of the army. Very good stuff here. Judges 7, 
In verse 4, But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, This one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. Okay, (laughs) so the Lord dismisses even more men. And we went from now 10,000 fighters down to just 300. What were we at first? Tens of thousands. Now we're down to 300. 300 men. Y'all remember that movie called 300? It's about those Spartans. Well, there's a movie poster for 300. I looked it up and it says, prepare for glory. Friends, the Bible tells us that the real 300, Gideon's 300, they're not Spartans. They are Israelites. And these Israelites are not preparing for their own glory. They are preparing for God's glory. Isn't that good? And you know, there's a famous line from that movie 300. I I couldn't believe it when I heard it. I I thought, what? That line from the movie 300 was, tonight we dine in hell. And he yells it, tonight we dine in hell. Like it's exciting. (laughs) How ungodly can you get? Friends, I hope Jesus comes back today. Because if he does, then tonight we dine in heaven. (laughs) So awesome. Has the reality struck you yet that it is entirely possible that this could go down, all of it, today? That we could be in the presence of the king? I urge you to get right with the Lord Jesus right now. So anyway, I know that all of you are now wondering from the the story here, what is the deal over God choosing men based on how they drank water? Because whether you get down or whether you lap or... Okay, I, I understand that God is dismissing the fearful. That I get. That I understand. But now bringing these guys that are left over to the water to drink and basing their dismissal on whether or not they got down on their knees to drink or if they lap water from their hand by bringing it to their mouth, what is this? You know, some people think that it was just an arbitrary test without any reason to it based on just, you know, total randomness. But context is king, guys. Let's consider the situation that these guys are in right now. They are about to run into war. Thousands of fearful men of their friends just left. And the enemy that has owned them for seven years is camped out real close with the intention of plundering them again. There's about to be a very big, big fight. So let's consider the difference now between two kinds of men and how they drank. One man drinks water by bringing it up in his hand, while the other gets down on his knees. You know, when you're about to get into a very big battle, buddy, you had better be alert. You'd better be looking around and be aware of what's going around you. God knows 
that the Amalekites attacked Israel once before from the rear of the line, where the younger and the older people were, probably where they were the most vulnerable. Now, those that got down on their knees to drink low from the water demonstrated a great vulnerability because in order to get down that low, you have to drop your weapons. You have to use both of your hands to get your head down low enough close to get to the water. You can't even see an approaching enemy because you're way down low. Now, getting down low like that to drink, down on your knees, on your hands, that is the perfect time for an enemy to attack is when you're not ready, when you're not looking, when you're distracted like this. That's when the enemy will strike. Now, take a look at chapter uh, 7, verse 6 again. Look at verse 6. It says, And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. How many hands does it say they used to drink with? These 300 men. How many hands did they use? How many hands? It says one hand. Just one hand. This means they still carried their weapon in the other hand. They're still armed. They're watchful. You remember in Nehemiah? How the Israelites had to work when they were building the wall with one hand while they carried a weapon in the other. It got so bad, they were under imminent possibility of attack. They had a weapon in one hand and built with the other hand. Now, these men here, they drank with one hand, bringing it to their mouth because they still had a weapon in the other. Again, when you kneel down to drink from water directly, you have to use both hands to get down there. It's like doing push-ups. You have to lay your weapon down. Also. Drinking low like that means you got your eyes are looking straight down at the water. You can't see if the enemy's going to be running at you. A very very vulnerable vulnerable position to be in. Those that brought up water to their mouths with one hand, they're holding the weapon in the other. They're still looking around and they're still somewhat on their feet. They could be ready to move at a split second's notice if they have to. Now, I believe that this drinking test was to determine which men remained watchful. Which men remained watchful? And even though the watchful numbered only a very few 300, those are the ones that God chose. Judges 7 and 8. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, to his, then he went down with Pura his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Okay, we'd seen God encourage Gideon several times already, even in the last chapter. He knew that Gideon was still a little bit scared. You know, it's okay if you're a little bit scared. I mean, I'm a human being. I have a sin nature in my flesh. I still get scared sometimes. And by the way, as a pastor, uh, you'd think I'd be over this by now, but public speaking is one of my biggest uh, top fears, and I still get scared when I do that. And so I think it was wonderful that right after cutting his men down to 300, the Lord still continues to assure Gideon of victory. 
Friends, the Lord will often put you into seemingly impossible circumstances that you'll say, I, I, I can't do this. But God does not do this for the cruel purpose of scaring you. He does this to show us how mighty he is. God puts us into trial for the purpose of, for us to just not know, to not just know, but to experience what God is capable of doing. You can sit in your mind and go, well, I know God can do anything. I know he can. But have you experienced God doing the impossible? It's a very different deal, isn't it? God is not going to abandon you to let you fail. He's not going to abandon Gideon either. Now, Judges 7 and 12. Now, the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. <laughs> Look how Gideon is all spiked up in his encouragement again. Now notice how the promise of victory is what caused Gideon to worship. It caused him to worship. You, you know, you have a promise of victory too. The victory in Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that what makes you want to worship God? And so the 300 are excited about the Lord's guaranteed win. I mean, we're going to win this. There's no way we can lose. And they're all worked up. How, how good is this? But how did they get this interpretation from a dream about a loaf of barley bread knocking a tent down? <laughs> I'd read things like this sometime and I go, what? Well, let's look at it. Again, context. Let's remember that Israel was in poverty because the Midianites kept stealing their food supply. They'd come and steal food and destroy crops and just do all this damage. And so barley bread probably was one of their food sources for the past seven years. It, this is barley bread that they were eating. Remember when God came to Gideon, he was threshing wheat for wheat bread. He, know, he does farming, you know, okay, they, they obviously ate bread. They had to eat something. And so dreaming of barley bread, dreaming of this bread, tumbling in and destroying the enemy's tent, would have been clear imagery to the Israelites that they were the barley bread who were about to destroy the Midianite camp. They knew without a doubt that this battle was going to be victorious because that bread was them. They understood that. They were very, very familiar with barley bread. Now, something I want to add here, because it says the barley bread tumbled. You see that? The barley bread tumbled into the camp. Have you ever seen a, a tumbleweed? Wind blows them around. I've been up into uh, North Texas, and and the tumbleweeds will blow across through fields and across the roads. And sometimes you got to stop if there's a bunch of tumbleweeds going across the road. You don't want to get into that. You just wait for them to pass. And I've seen them pretty thick before. But something about tumbleweeds is they don't tumble on their own. They're very light, and they catch air, and so they're moved around by wind. Now, bread, this dream was about barley bread tumbling into a camp. Bread just typically sits on a table. 
if you put it there on a table, it does not move because it has no power of its own to tumble anywhere. Well, duh, Ray, yeah, I I get you. I'm building my point. (laughs) I think it would take a strong wind to make barley bread tumble into a camp and be strong enough to knock down a tent, don't you think? In the Bible, wind is often illustrative as being power of the Holy Spirit of God. Let me tell you in Acts 2 and verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were there, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. John 3, 8, Jesus said, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. John 20 and 22. Jesus, it says, he breathed on them. Air, there's wind. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And so this dream here showed the Israelites that this helpless, weak, impoverished loaf of barley bread, which was them, was given great power by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I think the 300 men just realized something about their leader, Gideon. Something that we read in the past chapter, let's go recall this, back in Judges 6.34, it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. So there's your power. There's your wind power that can take a loaf of bread, something that has zero power of its own, and give it enough power to be able to take down its enemies. Gideon has a really supercharged force of men ready to go now, doesn't he? They know the Holy Spirit of God is with Gideon. They know they're going to be successful. Awesome. Judges 7 and 16. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Okay, so these pitchers they had here, these pitchers with a torch inside them, this was to hide the light of the torch until they broke the pitcher. And then you break the pitcher, suddenly there's light. The enemy would have had that shocked uh, deer in the headlights look on their face when it's nice and dark and all of a sudden there's all this light. So they break the pitchers and then there's all this light and now they're yelling, okay? The enemy would have been caught off guard. Now, we read that they were all lying in the valley, which means they're asleep. It's nighttime right now. Gideon and the 300 arrived right at the beginning of the middle watch, which means right when they're swapping their shifts, they're swapping guards. That is the perfect time to strike because we're, we're changing shifts. And then there's the battle cry, the battle cry, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. You know, battle cries have a purpose to them. That is to strike fear into your enemy through the confidence you have. Israel had this battle cry because they had confidence in the Lord And they use that battle cry to strike fear into the heart of their enemy. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time 
unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.